0: We are still a few Sundays away from starting a new book series. So today we're gonna look at the idea of praying together. Not just praying, but praying together. Yesterday at five o'clock, we concluded a, a church event of 24 hours of prayer here. For the last several years we have done this consistently we do it twice a year you can go ahead and be looking forward to the next one which will be in february we do it every august and every february 24 hours of prayer starting at friday at five o'clock all the way saturday to five o'clock there were people here on the church property in the different rooms of the church praying it's a good thing and it helps point us in the direction of dependency upon god crying out to him Uh, asking him to work, confessing our sins, trusting in Christ, and it also is us doing it together. I want to encourage you to consider praying together, praying with other people. In the world, we hear a lot about culture, do we not? Culture is a set of characteristics that define a group, and so you can recognize a culture by these things. And so often church culture can be described as the way people dress or the way they act or their arrogance or their beliefs or their convictions. Some of those things are really good and some of those things are really, really off. But one of the things that should absolutely define a true church is their commitment and desire to pray together. Not just praying people but people praying together. I realize that for many of you, you've not thought about this. I know that there are many people here today who do not pray with other people. And yet I want you to see from the Bible that this is an absolute must. It is a characteristic of Christians, of churches. They pray together. Look with me at Acts chapter one, verse 14. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. This one verse in the beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 1, tells us that with unity in one accord, lots of people, all of these, it says, we're devoting themselves to prayer together. People that we know and people that we don't know, names that we can recognize and names that we may not recognize, people that are not even named, but a group of people praying, praying together. We know that salvation comes through faith in Christ to the individuals who recognize that they have sinned against God. The Bible teaches us that in our sin, we are guilty before God. But in God's goodness and love, he loves us and has mercy toward us and sent his son to be our savior, die on the cross for our sins. And whoever would turn to him would be accepted. And the Bible says to all who did believe and all who called on him. He received them and gave the right to be called children of God. He welcomes us into his family. And so the Christian life is not a life of good people, but a life of needy people, dependent people, people who need God, know that they need God, and trust in him. It's people who are looking to Christ and have their eyes set on Christ and want to follow Jesus because apart from us following Jesus, where will we go and what will we be and how will God be worshiped with our lives? We must trust Christ and we must keep our eyes on him and follow him. In living Christian life, with our eyes on Jesus, seeking to know him and understand him and believe him and follow him and live for him and obey him and all of the things that are the Christian life, the Bible tells us time and time again that we should be praying. We could right now think of 20 or more passages that are on the tip of our tongue that are very familiar to us on prayer. We read the one from Uh, the gospels this morning that Garth read on the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. You know this prayer, right? The model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus teaches us how to pray. And in that passage, he says several times, and when you pray, and when you pray, and when you pray. But he teaches us there that we are to be a praying people. But you know, I'm sure, and perhaps you're even thinking of it right now, that in that passage, he's talking about private prayer, isn't he? Because he says, when you do that, you should go into your room, into your closet, shut the door. Don't let everybody know that you're praying. Don't, be, don't pray to be seen. Don't act like you're gaining some brownie points or earning anything by that. And so, yes, in the life of the Christian, in the believer, there is private prayer. There are times when you should be praying that nobody knows about. Nobody knows what you did when you woke up this morning, if you had your coffee or if you read the news or watched the news, but do you pray? And the Bible says there should be private prayer in our lives before you go to bed, as you lay on your pillow, beside your bed perhaps, on the couch, you know, wherever, private prayer. That's true, but the Bible also teaches us that we are to be praying together. It tells us to do that, but it also shows us that the churches were doing that. They were united and trying to be united, working toward unity. They were like-minded and wanted to be like-minded. And so they did things that helped promote that and preserve that. They prayed together. If we want to be a real church, a solid church and a healthy church, then the things that our church culture, as bad as many of those are, should not be our biggest concern, but what the New Testament describes and prescribes ought to be our desire. A praying people who pray together. This is why we have things like the 24 hours of prayer, but we also try to do several different avenues for you to pray. I want to name a few. On Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock, our Sunday school groups start at 9.30. On Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock, we have a group that prays. It's open for anybody. If you can manage getting here a little bit earlier, if you can wake up early enough on, on a Sunday, as challenging that is, we would love for you to join us. It's very refreshing. It is extremely healthy. Before you go into anything big, to slow yourselves down, get quiet, and seek the Lord and ask for his help. We do that here every single Sunday at nine o'clock. You're welcome to come. We would love for you to. During Sunday morning worship, we pray several times, right? I think there are five different prayers in this Sunday morning worship. We've already heard Jake pray. We've already heard Garth pray. We've already heard Jake pray again. It's one of our pastors. There's lots of prayers. But a few years ago, we started with this pastoral prayer time in church where it is more intentional, more deliberate, more focused, where we are leading you all in prayer, hopefully instructing and helping and, and teaching you how to pray for certain things. We pray for missionaries. We pray for issues. We pray for COVID to go away. We pray for health. We pray for souls. We pray for the community, right? We pray for things, and we do that together. We as much as it has not been very trendy, are committed to a Wednesday night prayer meeting. We have all of our services like nursery and kids ministry and youth ministry and college ministry and band practice and Wednesday night dinner and all that. But in Wednesday night church, we also pray. We keep a prayer list, we update it regularly. We work hard to keep it anonymous or confidential or protected, but we are a praying people. All week long, every day of the week, us pastors are contacted through emails and texts, and they say, hey, pray for this. Can you add this to the prayer list? And we do, and we keep this prayer list going. It is always at the front of my Bible. It is this right here. We would love for you to have one. Many of you all right now could tell me all the names that are on here because you have been praying through these things. Our homebound shut-ins are on this list, the missionaries that we support are on this list, and everything that has been pressing in the last month is on this list. We reset it and wipe it blank every month, but we keep a prayer list. And every single Wednesday night, we pass these out, we open these up, and we pray together. There are lots of ways that we pray. We have once a month a men's prayer breakfast. We had that here yesterday. There were some 25 men here yesterday, bowed heads, praying together. This coming Saturday, there is a ladies' prayer breakfast. Same thing. All of you ladies are invited to be here at nine o'clock this Saturday morning to pray together. We could go on and on with opportunities to pray. We want you to know that we are trying to pray. The Bible describes that and prescribes that, praying together. If you look back at Acts chapter 1, verse 14... See again that it says, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Today, I want to give you three ideas around praying together. Number one, we pray together because we need to. Number one, we pray together because we need to. I think this is where all prayer starts. Our inadequacies, our dependence, our need for God. Don't we confess together that we don't have all the answers, we don't have it all figured out, we're not able to navigate this life, and certainly this Christian life, on our own? How we were raised won't do it. Common sense won't do it. United together with a body of believers, other people like-minded, trusting in Christ, seeking the Lord together. We need to do this. If you look at the beginning of the book of Acts, you're familiar with this context, I'm sure, because it's chapter one. Jesus has just lived his life some 30 years started his ministry around the age of 30, taught for a good three years, and then they crucified him on the cross. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four Gospels, tell us of this story. Four different people giving their account. At the end of the Gospels, Jesus dies on the cross, Three days later, God raises him from the dead, victorious over sin, death, and the devil. And anybody who trusts in him, any of you here today, will be saved from your sins. You will become a child of God, and you will go to heaven forever at peace with God through trusting in the work of Christ. You cannot earn your salvation. You cannot be good enough. But through Christ alone, you can know God. After Jesus rose from the grave, the Bible says he was on earth for several days, And then he ascended up into heaven where he is now. He is not here in the body. He is not on earth. You can walk around, you can go anywhere, you can go to the tomb, you can go to any country, and you will not see Jesus in the flesh, the God-man. He is not here. He is in heaven, seated at the right hand of God. Chapter one is telling us about this. He's gone. And it is in chapter one that we find All of Christ's followers that remain left in that position. Just imagine. Imagine being in that spot. What should they do? What should they say? What should they think? Now remember, they had been in that spot before, right, when he died, It was an ugly scene. It said they were hiding out. It doesn't tell us anything what happened on that dark Saturday, that silent Saturday after the Good Friday, the day of crucifixion, before the resurrection Sunday where Christ conquered everything and we see the glory of God in the redemptive work of death not being able to stop God, sin not being able to stop God. But on that Saturday, it says they were hiding out and they were scared and the numbers seemed to be dwindling. This is where Acts chapter one tells us they are. But it's the second time. Jesus came back and he revealed himself to them and then he left. And that's where we're at at Acts chapter one. And what do we find them doing? A little bit uncertain. Remember they had asked some questions in chapter one. In chapter one they asked this question. Verse six, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. They kept staring and watching and Jesus ascends up into heaven. And the chapter goes on to say that they're just there staring into heaven. So then the angels asked them a question. They said, verse 11, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. That's where we see the believers in the beginning of Acts. Sometime in the first century, the middle of the first century. And what were they doing? Well, shortly after that, it tells us they were all in one accord devoting themselves to prayer together because they needed to. What should we do next, they were thinking. How should we feel? What do we do? What do we say? And so they prayed. And they prayed together. They didn't split up and each go to their home and pray. They didn't allow themselves to get distracted from the real thing. They prayed together. And we need to as well. But not only do we find them praying here in chapter one, I want to show you how this really is the move for them. This really is what they do. Chapter one, verse 24 says again that they prayed. Chapter two, verse 42 says, and they devoted themselves to the prayers. Again, devoted to the prayers. Chapter four, verse 31 says, And when they had prayed, they were gathered and they prayed. Chapter 6, verse 4 says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer. Devoted to prayer. They were a praying people. But one that's even more clear about the whole, the group, the people meeting together should be praying, is that Acts chapter 12, and I want you to look at that, Acts chapter 12. This is in the midst of a very stressful time, a very uh, unsettled time, an upsetting time. Acts chapter 12 says, About that time Herod, the king, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Now this is real persecution. Persecution. This is when people are doing evil, bad, physical things to God's people. This is textbook persecution. Verse two, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So stop right there for just a second, right? What we have here in the, New, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, we have the king opposing Christianity. So he kills James and he arrests Peter. All right, that's what's happening. So what would the church do? Look at verse five. So Peter was kept in prison. This is twelve five. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church it may have been harder we don't know what they were praying we don't know what they're praying there but they're praying it may be harder for us to actually know all the ways right now that we should be praying for afghanistan and haiti and the usa these are complicated days but i do know this we should be praying together about these things If you stay in that passage, you see that Peter is rescued. Jump over to verse 12. Peter now leaves. Verse 12 says, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Does everybody see that? Again, together praying. Because they need to and this is the way Christians think they need to we need to I want to show you a parable that Jesus teaches turn with me to Luke 18 Luke 18 I'll give you some time I want you to find it Jesus teaches a ton about prayer and this is one that I want you to see talking about our need to pray Luke 18, the parable of the persistent widow. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So there's the application, all right? This is the cool thing about how the Gospels are written. That's the application to what he's about to say. You ought to pray a lot, you ought to not get discouraged. You ought to keep the heart and keep praying always. Verse 2. Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Jesus gives us a parable that teaches us to keep praying, even when it looks like It's not worth praying, or nothing happens when we pray, or does prayer even work, or does God even hear our prayers? Keep praying. Why? Because we need to. And we look around at our lives right now. I mean, I want you to think about yourself individually. Do you need to pray? Would you answer no to that? Are you so good at life, the Christian life, that you don't need to pray? But bigger than that, what about the collective whole of the Christian witness in 2021? I think it's fair to say, being honest about ourselves, that Christians have a bad reputation right now. Churches have all but shot themselves in the foot with how wrong we have been so often. Every one of us right now know people who are against us and think that we're wrong and uh, think that we are a mess and misrepresenting the way life should be and how we care for people and how we love and sacrifice and treat people. Don't we need to be united in prayer, expressing our need for God, that God would make us humble, broken, that the biggest sinners in the world would not be those out there, but us in here, that we need salvation, that we need Christ, that God would help us love the world, love our neighbors, that God would create in us hearts of service and sacrifice. We need to pray We could come up with a huge list of things we need to pray about. We need to pray for our homes. We need to pray for our marriages. We need to pray for our kids. We need to pray for the future. We need to pray and pray and pray. We need to pray for people to stop getting sick. We need to pray for people to stop dying of the sicknesses that they have. We need to pray for our schools. We need to pray for the coming generations. We need to pray. The Bible teaches us that's what churches do. We come together to pray because we need to. Would you recognize your need for praying with other people today? Secondly, not only do we need to be praying together, but we get to pray together. We pray together because we get to. And I hope that you know the difference between got to and get to. You've heard that before, right? Well, I gotta go to church, and I gotta go to work, and I gotta take my wife out to dinner, and I, you know, I gotta spend time with my kids. I gotta go to another ball game, right? I gotta, I gotta do this. I gotta give my offering, right? And this "gotta" sounds like, well, I'll do it, but I'm not glad about doing it. I'll do it, but I don't know why I'm doing it, right? It sounds like a drag or a weight or a burden, or that you wish you weren't, or there was some other way out of it. It sounds like legalism. It sounds like worldly ungodly religion that says it's not even good that i do it i'm just doing it i hope it's earning me something and getting me somewhere I hope it's another notch in my back or another check mark in all that i'm earning that's got to but get to gets to recognizing all the good that is in it all the good that is in it we get to Do you realize that the Bible teaches us through and through that the very God that made us is the God that watches us, knows us. It's the God that is working in us and keeps us alive. It's the God that loves us so much, as sinful as we are, right? The Bible says God loves his enemies. And even while we were yet sinners, hostile to God, Romans says, He came to us. He came after us. He sought us. He pursued us and sent Jesus to die on the cross and his Holy Spirit ran us down and found us in our waywardness and convicted us of our sins and broke us down to our knees to which we cried out, Father, have mercy upon me, a sinner, and save my soul. Draw me back. Accept me. And he does through Christ. The Bible says we are God's children, adopted children, to which we can cry out to Him, Abba, Father. The Bible says that even when we don't know what to say or do, God hears and understands where our hearts are because we have a relationship with him we can talk to god god has allowed us to be in a relationship with him we are able to talk to god and if we are able to talk to god then we get to talk to god and so we do talk to god what a special thing you don't have to come to all those prayer services i said but you get to think about that I don't have to be here this Wednesday night, but I get to. My family doesn't have to be here this Wednesday night, but we get to, right? There are going to be people here this Wednesday night at 7 o'clock praying for people to be saved, praying for your family, praying for your children. Would you not want to be a part of that? We get to. We get to go to God and say, God, help us to not get COVID. Help us to have wisdom. Help us to learn to walk carefully. The Bible says multiple times that we need to learn to walk carefully in this super tense world, right? And so we seek him together. God, help us. God, help us to not be one of these churches where every house down the street thinks that we're judgmental and arrogant and punks and rude and haughty and prideful and all that. God, we are praying for that. God, help us to recognize needs around us so that people can be helped. so that people can say, hey, they love us. I'm not really sure if I believe in God. I don't really know what my views are about God, but I know that those people that do believe in God, they love me. They treat me well. They're not causing me to think worse of God. They're opening up my ideas about God. And when we understand that we get to pray to God, we do it. We gather together. It may not be the, most important thing on our schedule. We certainly carry a lot of responsibilities but we get to pray to God. May we never lose sight of that. May you not treat it as something, well, it's always going to be there and maybe one of these days I'll do it. Shift your thinking from got to to get to. Shift your thinking to what happens when we pray together. It's unbelievable to think how much unity comes together how much mutual respect how much appreciation and admiration for somebody that shows up to pray and we get to do that i want to show you another one that's like this turn back to luke this time chapter 11 the last one was luke 18 this one's luke 11 This is the model prayer in Luke. Garth read from Matthew's account. The disciples here ask Jesus in verse one, teach us to pray. But I want to start reading at verse five. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey. And I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut. I'm in, I'm in, and my children are with me in bed. I guess it's a different culture. You sleep with your kids. I hope y'all aren't sleeping with your kids in the same bed. Y'all discipline them to stay in their own bed at night. Get you a good night's rest, all right? Don't let them come to bed with you. Different subject on parenting, but. Different culture here. They must sleep with their kids. Right, different culture, yeah. Verse seven, he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Verse eight, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. He just said he couldn't, but now he can. He just said he cannot get up and help him, but now He can. Verse 9, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened." What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We get that privilege to God. And he gives us a parable that teaches us, right? He gives us a parable. He gives us a story that says, this is fascinating. He gives us a story that says, even if it's the middle of the night and you're asking and it seems like we shouldn't keep asking and when you keep asking he will answer it's a parable it's teaching us how the father feels about us praying and yet so often we won't even pray the first one because we think eh, will he answer doesn't matter And yet here is a lesson for us to keep going. I want to ask you, what issues, be honest, what issues are you praying about? And yet in the idea of togetherness, what issues are we praying about? Do you feel good knowing we've been going to the Father about that and going to the Father about that and going to the Father about that? We get to do that. We get to go. We get to go to God regularly and ask him. We're praying for our kids and praying for our kids and praying for our kids. We are on our knees, we are crying out. We are praying for our integrity and praying for our integrity and praying for our integrity. We are praying for our witness that we would not be arrogant, rude, racist, prideful, judgmental people in this world. We are praying that God would purify our hearts, break us down, humble us. We are praying that this world and this community would know and feel and see love for us. We are not just laboring like crazy, hoping that we think we're nice. We are praying first. And I promise you, before we've given out a Gatorade, before we've given out a dollar, before we've done anything, we have already prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed about that. I just told you all the services that we have. And many of you all have already been here often to see that we are praying together about these things because we can. May we understand that our Father in heaven that works through us has taught us to pray to him while he's working through us, and so we do. May you and I not neglect that. We pray together because we need to. We pray together because we get to, we get to talk to God. We have a relationship with him. And lastly, we pray together because we want to. Do you? Do you want to? Do you want to pray with me this week? Do you want to pray with each other this week? Do you want to get together and me pray for your kids and you pray for my kids? I can't imagine not thinking that that's good. And yet we see the heaviness that comes with waywardness or sinfulness or lack of faith where we would not come out right and say, yeah, Josh, I don't want to. I don't want to pray for you or you pray for my kids or whatever. But in our lives, in our faithful living, we find ourselves in position where we're not doing it. Either because we don't want to or it's just not valuable or important to us enough that we would. And at the end of the day, what's really the difference? We pray together because we want to. I'm not at all saying you need to be here on a Wednesday night. I'm saying you need to be united in heart, wanting to pray together with your church. Sunday morning worship or any other opportunity, we want to. You remember the psalm that said, I was glad when they said, Let us go to the house of the Lord. What a thought. But perhaps here's the biggest example of all. How many passages do we have in the Gospels where Jesus is committed to prayer and the apostles are kinda like burnt out with it or frustrated with it, right? It's one of the comical pieces in the Bible. Tells us time and time again that Jesus says, all right, y'all go over there and pray and wait for me, and he comes back and they're asleep, right? And Jesus says, what's that? Y'all stay awake. And he goes back and prays some more. And he comes back and they're asleep again. And he says, could you you not just wait a little bit? Could you not stay awake? Let's pray, right? And there's all these times when they're praying and then he comes back and then another time he finds them arguing about which is the greatest. He's about to go die on the cross and they're in in an argument instead of prayer and faithfulness over who's the greatest, right? And so throughout the gospels, we see the apostles like not wanting to. We just read there in Luke chapter 11, Lord, teach us to pray, And yet, the idea behind praying or wanting to be a praying people is quite a a bit different than actually being a group of people that pray together. Everybody here wants to be a praying person. And yet, I want us to see that we want to. For in this passage at Acts chapter 1, okay, turn with me back to Acts chapter 1 where we're at. Remember the context Jesus has left, he just left. And they're left here. But the very thing that he just said to them in verse 8 is, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And so, in this very moment of verse 14, while all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together, right in that moment, they are waiting. Nobody knew how long it was gonna be before the Holy Spirit came, but he had just said, I'm leaving, Holy Spirit's coming. We know that throughout the gospels, John chapter 14, John chapter 16, where Jesus is teaching on the Holy Spirit, he says, when I leave and go back to the Father in heaven, it will be good for you, better for you, it will be your advantage because I will send the helper. So in Jesus' mind, in God's mind, believers having the Holy Spirit are in a better position than the apostles without the Holy Spirit. So here's the big change. In chapter two of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes. And guess what we see then from the apostles? Not this reluctance to fall asleep. Not this lack of interest to be a praying people. Not this, well, we couldn't stay awake. Not this, we didn't want to. You see people that pray like crazy and pray and pray and pray and pray. There are at least 20 different times in the book of Acts where it says, and they prayed together and they were praying and when they had finished praying and upon praying, right? And they became a praying people because when, 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 when Jesus left and he sends the Holy Spirit, the dependent people who need to pray, who get to pray become people that want to pray. They want to pray together. We understand that God is the one who accomplishes things in the world. The Bible teaches us so absolutely clearly that the Lord does what he pleases, right? We pray, not my will, but yours be done. Father, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We know that. We know that one person plants, another person waters, but it's always God that gives the growth. God is doing what he wants to in the world. He's just involving us in it. And the way we come in tune with what he's doing is by being people believing and praying together. It is true that God will use our lives, and it is true that God will use our lives as we have asked him to use our lives in the direction that he wishes as we are praying and somewhat changing and altering the direction that he wishes because he hears our prayers. It is true. But we are to be a people that are praying together in that process, and we want to do that. The followers of Christ in the Gospels that could hardly stay committed to prayer become prayer warriors, become house meetings of prayer and church gatherings of prayer and worship services of prayer in the book of Acts. You remember over and over again, Paul writes, we pray for you day and night. We pray for you earnestly. Pray without ceasing. Pray continually. And after we prayed, You cannot read the New Testament without hearing that they were praying and praying and praying and praying together. This is church culture, people that pray together. This is church culture, people that pray together. Would you acknowledge that we need to? That our church needs to and you being a piece of the church need to? Would you acknowledge the joy that we get to? And would you acknowledge that we want to? One of the cool things about praying together is that there are people that get it and understand that. There are lots of times when opportunities come up for us to pray together, and you know that. And so often we miss out on those. There's an opportunity for us to love each other, serve each other, help each other, build each other up, comfort each other, settle each other. I had a text message conversation with somebody just last night. They're recovering from COVID and so I told them, it'd eh, probably be best for you to stay home another Sunday. And he says to me like, hey, you remember last week when I asked you to be praying for me? I said, yeah. We're looking back through the text and he said, well, were you praying for me? I said, yeah. He said, man, I remember going through that day and I was discouraged and I was feeling anxious and I was having symptoms and my whole mind seemed to be all over the place. And it was about that time during the day that I felt like my faith was driving the peace of God in my life to carry me through this anxious season. He said, I think it's because you were praying for me. I didn't say it was because I was praying for you. He said, I think it's because you were praying for me. To some, they think that's cheesy or coincidence. To some, they think, yeah, that's what prayer is. Prayer is believing God, knowing that he hears us, asking him to do things, and then by faith, watching him answer it according to his will. We get to do that. We need to do that. And now we want to do that. We're in a neat position, y'all, to be the church. We get to represent love and justice and truth in the world. In a world where so many people literally don't know what to think and don't know what to believe, we can go out there and treat them well. We can lay down our lives. We can spend our money, our energy, our time. We can sacrifice ourselves truly so that the world would know that there is a good loving God out there. There's a real God that loves and gives and goes and never quits and never gives up and forgives sin and loves enemies and gets smacked in the face and keeps loving back and gets used and abused and keeps loving back. That's the true father in heaven that loves people like you or I who have sinned against him. And we, by the power of God working in us, get to go out into the world and be that way. But we will never do it for a day in our own strength. But dependent upon him, walking by faith in Christ, through prayer, we get to be his ambassadors, his people, his lighthouse, his witnesses. For all the people in our lives, our children that are watching, our neighbors that are watching, our coworkers that are watching, for all the people that are watching us and wondering about life, and sin and religion in God. May they get the real thing from us. But not because we're so good, but because we've been praying about it. Because we've already talked to God about it. Because we need him. And in needing him, he empowers us to live for him. Let's set our eyes on Christ and commit to praying together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the church praying together. God, we thank you that we see that they're doing this. I mean, very simply, God, if we want to be a New Testament church or a a, a church like the book of Acts, a first century church, God, what culture is there is not at all how they dress or the buildings that they have, or the cars that they drive, or their ability to tip at Sunday lunch, or their inability to tip well at Sunday lunch, but that they were praying together. Father, we pray that you would unite us in this, set our hearts toward it. Father, we need you, and we thank you for Christ. We ask, Father, that you would Increase our commitment to prayer. Increase our awareness of our need for you. Fill us with joy and faith that we can. Father, we ask that you would grow us in this direction to be a praying people for your glory, for your witness, for the advancement of the kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.